Mallory. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're talking about the movie Please Don't Eat the Daisies, which is a 1960 um, comedy with some musical elements thrown in because it stars um, Doris Day and um, David Niven. Um, it was directed by um, Charles Walters, who was known for directing musicals, um, including some famous ones like Zigfield Follies, The Barclays of Broadway, High Society, and The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Um, and it was produced by um, Joe Pesternik, who um, uh, produced hundreds of movies. And um, the associate producer was Doris Day's husband, Martin Melcher. So, the movie is the story of Lawrence McKay and um, Kate McKay, his wife. Um, he is a he is moving from one career to another, um, from being a professor at Columbia um, to being one of New York City's top seven theater critics, which is apparently um, in the world of this movie a big deal. They have four sons who are um, a handful. Um, and his uh, first major review is of his friend's production. Um, and this negative review launches his reputation as sort of a mean guy, but it also launches his friend's desire for revenge. Um, he, while Larry is rising in theater circles um, because of his new reputation, Kate is raising um, their sons. Um, and then they um, move to the country to a an extremely old house that needs a lot of work um, and Kate begins working with a local theater troupe to mount um, a show with um, a history. Meanwhile there are lots of other characters um, who come in and, and um, have some role in showing us um, um, how Larry is changing and Kate uh, it, but he's still faithful in some ways um, and then there's a cabbie and there's Kate's mother and there's um, the guy who or the not the guy the, the exact opposite of a guy the woman who tries to get Larry to have an affair so this is a rambling synopsis of sort of a rambling movie yeah I was gonna say <laughs> it's rambling because the plot is it's rambling, rambling. <laughs> we've been watching a lot of rambling plot movies yeah we need to do something that has more of an arc. <laughs> Rising action, falling right. action. I think we've we've discussed what our next movie is. I think so, and that has a tight plot. Yes, and you can announce it because <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> right, executive decision. We already talked about it. Um, anyway, um, do you have trivia about this movie? Yes, there wasn't a lot that I could find. I, I've noticed that some of the movies moving forward in time have less trivia so i don't know they're less exciting yeah maybe or maybe the studios crack down on letting stuff get out i don't know um the musical number that kate rehearses for the amateur production anyway the wind blows was actually written for uh the movie pillow talk which she was in the year before and that song title was actually a working title for the film Pillow Talk for a while. Oh. So it's nice that they got to use it. I thought it was a catchy song. Yeah. I noticed that the mother looked familiar in this movie. Oh. And it's because she was the mother in Little Women. She was Marmee. 
which is a very opposite role to this. Yeah. Um, apparently, Spring Byington began her feature film career portraying Catherine Hepburn's mother in Little Women in 1933, and then this was her last movie, and she was playing Doris Day's mother. So. Some, uh, like, an arc. Yeah. <laughs> um, during an argument with her husband, Kate, facetiously claims that she had a rendezvous with Rock Hudson, which, yes. <laughs> which is actually a reference to the fact that that was her male lead in Pillow Talk. And then after this movie, she went on to star with him in many more films, and they were like an on-screen duo. Yeah. Um, one of the child actors in this movie, Charles Herbert, claimed that Doris Day only spoke three words to him the entire filming. So I guess she didn't interact that much with the child actors. Um, and lastly, the lead characters are loosely based on Jean and Walter Kerr. And Walter Kerr was a real uh, writer and Broadway theater critic, and Jean Kerr was a uh, theater writer. Yeah. So they were real people, and Please Don't Eat the Daisies was based on Jean Kerr's best-selling collection of humor essays. Which I want to read. I bet they're a lot better than this movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple of other um, things about this movie that I found is when they're in, when Kate and Larry are in that um, Italian restaurant, she slips into a few bars of um, the song Que Sera Sera, and then hums it later in the elevator. Um, and that is um, a song that she sang in Alfred Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much four years earlier. Oh. So it's sort of, a, there's a lot of like meta references to Doris Day's career, mm-hmm. which, I mean, just the fact that there are two songs in this movie that she just like bursts into randomly, <laughs> generally a, that. Um, the other thing that, or two other things that I loved was that Richard Hayden is in this movie. He played um, Alfred. Oh. And the only other thing I have ever seen him in is The Sound of Music. Oh, yeah. He plays Max. <laughs> I thought he looked familiar, too. I know. Too. I was like, who is this man? <laughs> um, and then Jack Weston is the guy who plays um, uh, Joe, the, the cabbie. The cabbie. Um, and he is in my favorite movie ever, um, Cactus Flower, oh. in which he... Um, which we can at some point watch. Um, but he plays a guy in that movie called Harvey Greenfield, and the minute that I, like, recognized him in this movie was the minute that, the, like, he he is in, you know, he comes in when, she, when um, Kate is expecting the new babysitter, whose mm-hmm. name is Mrs. Greenfield, which I just thought was a, I mean, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but I thought that was <laughs> hilarious that there was suddenly all these Greenfields. Um and one thing which we can talk about later, um, but I wanted to mention it, is the the vet, Dr. Spruik, mm-hmm. is, uh, when I was looking up like stuff about this movie, there's a lot of conversation about how there's this random gender-bendy yeah. character who... <laughs> I thought that was going to come up again later, and it yeah, never does. Yeah, it never does. So, there's that. <laughs> Although, that is a stereotype of... Like, if you're going to be a medical professional as a woman, you have to, like... Well... I mean, this is not a current, but, like, back in the day, women who became veterinarians, there was a stereotype yeah. about them being, like, masculine. Or, you must be a lesbian yeah. to be a veterinarian. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I thought she was cool. Actually. I know. I was like, I want more of this character. Um, do you want to say, talk a little bit about uh, Doris Day? Yes. Um, I, well, I will first say that I really like her as a singer and performer, and I listen to her music a lot. Yeah. So that was part of the reason I wanted to watch this movie. Um, so she was born Doris Mary Ann Koppelhoff on April 3rd, 1922. Um, and she began her career as a big band singer in 1939. So she, she be- became popular after her first hit recording Sentimental Journey in 1945. Um, and then she embarked on her solo career. And uh, she started her partnership with Columbia Records and she stayed with them her entire career. So wow. she never s- switched labels. Uh, the contract lasted from 1947 to 1967 and included more than 650 recordings. She was one of the most popular and acclaimed singers of the 20th century. She received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award and a Legend Award from the Society of Singers. Um, in 2011, she released her 29th studio album, My Heart. And she's like in her 80s now. She's still alive. I want to listen to it. It debuted at number nine on the UK Top 40, so she is the oldest living artist to score a UK Top 10 with an album featuring new material, so that's pretty cool. Um, In 1948, uh, she was persuaded to audition for Romance on the High Seas, which led to a 20-year career in film, and she did mostly musicals. she did a whole string of them with Gordon McRae in the early 50s. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And later romantic comedies with uh, actors like Clark Gable, Rock Hudson. She was in Teacher's Pet, Pillow Talk, Lover Come Back, Send Me No Flowers, That Touch of Mink, and The Thrill of It All, Move Over Darling. <laughs> That's just a couple. She was ranked the biggest box office star, the only woman appearing on that list in the era for four years. Um, that's kind of sad that she was the only woman to do that then. Um, she ranked in the top 10 in 10 different years, and she became the top-ranking female box office star of all time and is currently ranked sixth among the top 10 box office performers, male and female, as of 2012. Wow. So she's still up there. Um, she received an Academy Award nomination for Pillow Talk and won three Henrietta Awards. She received the Los Angeles Film Critic Association's Career Achievement Award. And in 1989, she received the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Lifetime Achievement. Um, she's also a well-known animal rights activist. She began working in animal welfare in 1971 when she co-founded Actors and Others for Animals. She started her own nonprofit in the 1970s, the Doris Day Animal Foundation and later the Doris Day Animal League. Uh, She established the annual observance of Spay Day USA in 1995, and her nonprofit now partners with the Humane Society of the United States. So it's still very active in the field. She loves animals and she's not a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In 2004, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President George W. Bush a recognition of her distinguished service to the country. 
and she's now retired from acting and performing, but continues her work as an animal rights activist. So, I think this is one of the first people who we watched who's still alive, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you have any biographical information to share? About David Niven? I definitely do. Um, he was born. He just he, If he was still alive, he would have just had a birthday at time of recording. Um, but he was born March 1st, 1910 in London, England. Apparently, um, for a while, he used to say that he was born in northern Scotland because it sounded more romantic. Um, but then at some point on some TV interview, he admitted that he was born in London. Um, he was born, he was named after his, the saint's day on which he was born, St. David, randomly patron saint of Wales. So there you go. Um, he attended several strict um, schools growing up and then served for two years in Malta with the Highland Light Infantry. Um, he first appeared as an extra in the British film There Goes the Bride, um, and then went on um, to um, be in, appear in several smart, small parts in films, films from 1933 to 1935, um, including a very small, non-speaking part in MGM's Mutiny on the Bounty. Mm. Um, and it was that part that got him more attention and um, um, got spotted by Samuel Goldwyn. Um, between 1936 and 1940, he appeared in 19 films. Um, most of these were supporting roles um, in movies I'd never heard of before. <laughs> um, and played opposite stars like Errol Flynn, Loretta Young, and Laurence Olivier. Um, in 1939, he appeared with Ginger Rogers in Bachelor Mo Mother. Um, and the Became, and he was part of a group known as the Hollywood Raj, which was a group of British actors in Hollywood that included um, Rex Harrison, Boris Karloff, um, Basil Rathbone, um, Leslie Howard, um, and C. Aubrey Smith. Um, he, um, according to one of his autobiography, he and Errol Flynn were very, very close friends and rented Rosalind Russell's house um, oh. as a bachelor pad <laughs> <laughs> before he was married, obviously. Um, at the outbreak of World War II, um, he, um, he was, at the time, um, a pretty famous star, but he rejoined the British Army um, in the Rifle Brigade um, at the rank of lieutenant. Um, and during the time that he was in the Army, he actually did appear in two films, The Spitfire um, and The Way Ahead, which were had sort of a propaganda um, feel to them, not surprisingly. Um, he, when he returned to the Hollywood after the war, he was made a legionnaire of the Order of Merit, which is the highest order, uh, highest American order that can be earned by um, a non-American um, citizen, and it was presented to him um, by um, General Dwight D. Eisenhower. Um, so he resumed his career in 1946, um, and then from then on only appeared in starring roles. Um, including um, The Bishop's Wife with Cary Grant. Um, in 1958, he won an Academy Award for Best Actor for his role as Major Pollock in set the movie Separate Tales. Um, it was his only nomination for an Oscar. Um, he was also on screen for only 23 minutes um, and um, until Anthony Hopkins won for The Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Um, it was the shortest um, performance ever to win a Best Actor Oscar. Wow. 
Um, Anthony Hopkins was on screen for 16 minutes. <laughs> so it's not that much of a difference. Um, in 1959, he became the host of his own TV drama series, um, which ran for just that summer, um, and then later appeared in a, just about a 30 more films, including The Pink Panther um, and The Sea Wolves, which I don't know what that is. But. <laughs> um, in 1960, he moved to um, Switzerland for financial reasons, um, but he also had very close friends in the country, including Deborah Carr and Noel Coward. So he was like, he moved in very like fancy circles. Um, in 1981, he was diagnosed with ALS um, and died two years later um, at his home in Switzerland um, at the age of 73. He was kind of young. I remember seeing him in The Bishop's Wed, but I didn't make the connection. He always comes across as kind of uptight and hoity-toity. Yeah, but that, that's like the kind of, the kind of people, or the kind of people, yeah, the kind of characters that he plays. <sighs> so, what were your overall impressions? <laughs> I was interested to learn that it was based on a series of essays about the life of an actual person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but very loosely based, because I, I think that that makes some of the, it makes the narrative maybe a little bit more, like, understandable, <laughs> but it did seem like it was almost three movies in one that they just, yeah. like, smushed together. It it felt very episodic, like, almost, yeah. and, and I think you had mentioned before we recorded this that this was also a TV show, and, like, it makes more sense to me that since it was based on a book of essays, that yeah. it would work better that way because it did feel like there were there were so many things going on. Like, you got pretty far in the... Like, the the premise of the movie is like, oh, they're moving to the country and right. we're going to see how that shakes things up. Right. But they is don't that even, the premise of the movie? I mean, according to the, to I know, the back of the, the case, back. that is the premise. But, like... That doesn't even happen until really far along in the movie, and it, it feels like it's really more about his career. Yeah. But, um... I... I found the children very annoying in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought Doris Day was really good in her role. But... it The gender politics of it really frustrated me, and the resolution was completely unsatisfying <laughs> yeah I mean there were some parts of it that um like gender politics some it seemed like it was like strangely progressive in parts like strangely like 21st century and then there are other parts where Kate's mother is like trying to convince her husband to like I don't know all the 1960 gender roles but there's there was a part where um um, Larry, um, Larry and, um, Kate are, like, trying, making up, I think, after a fight, and, um, and Kate says, interesting people don't want to make friends with housewives, and, um, and Larry says, you're so much more than a housewife, and she says, so is every other housewife. Yeah. Which, I was like, yes! (laughs) (laughs) I did think that was a good line. Yeah. Um. But even the fact that Larry said that, I think, kind of shows that he didn't really 
understand. Yeah, or well, he was like, well, you're the exception because you are interesting, but it did seem like her role was primarily to support his career yeah. and to like structure their lives. Yeah. Um, well, and she, yeah. even though they had a maid and the grandmother was there and there were babysitters and. and there was still some, like, even her mother was like, oh, you're the only one who can't control your children. Just like... <laughs> mother was horrible. Can we just talk about her for a second? Because not only did, did she say that, but then when she went at the end to Larry and said, you know, basically, you need to, like, make her come to you... And like you need to set the rules, like you're the. I was like, oh, this is what. And that, and at first, I thought she was his mother in yeah. the very beginning of the movie. And then I was like, no, this is her mother, and she's still saying, like, basically, you need to dominate my daughter. Yeah, like I have never been so proud of you not, since you've been like, you're strong and you're laying down the law. And yeah, which like the only good thing about that is that he's like, I don't want everyone to be afraid of me. Yeah. Think that I'm mean? It's like, well, then don't be mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is, you still hear things like that today. Yeah. Like, I'm married, and people have said to Mike in front of me, like, "You need to put your foot down more." Yeah. With it, which I do not take. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, and I mean, the other big theme. Well, there were several things going on. <laughs> I mean, there was the whole city versus the country yeah. thing. And um, it, it very much depicted the country as, like, this is an, a place where people are pure and everyone isn't just out for themselves and we want to get out there so that, like, you know, we can raise our kids in a good environment. Which is funny because now it's people are doing sort of the opposite and yeah. moving into the city with families. But that reflects the time. Um, but the other big theme was just Larry getting professional success and power and how that was changing him. And that was really the central conflict of the movie. Um, because Kate did not like the way he was changing. Yeah. And she was trying to tell him, you're losing part of what makes you a good person. And he didn't want to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I didn't, I mean, towards the end, he sort of was realizing that, but, like, I still didn't feel like it was totally resolved. Right. He still didn't really totally get it. He was like, oh, there's, my wife is here again, and I love my wife, but. Um, I thought it was sort of mean to Kate how Alfred gave her that play and yeah. sort of set her up. Yeah. Because it became a conflict between Kate and Larry not Alfred and Larry. Yeah, yeah, his, like, desire for revenge just sort of evaporates. And that never, like, yeah. gets resolved. It's like, do I, does everyone come and laugh at him? Or because he, <laughs> he wrote a review of it ahead of time going, this is a terrible piece of writing and no one should see it. And well, also, I feel like if someone did something like that today, the reaction would be, you're so obsessed with yourself that you think people are going to care about a play that you wrote that some, like, amateur theater group is putting on for one night, like, yeah. in some small town. Right. Don't, don't draw attention to it. Yeah, like, he, it would could have just been like, yeah, blip, like, oh, there was another Larry so-and-so. Right, right, it's not my play. 
Um, the thing that I thought was really funny was them buying the old house, and it was like a mansion, first of all. I know. Well, <laughs> and they, they said, oh, we couldn't afford to buy a, a smaller house, like, ostensibly a house that was smaller, but, like, nice. Yeah. And so they moved into a place that was falling down around them. And then the timeline didn't make sense. Like, she basically fixed up the entire house in a week. Yeah. Which... I live in an old house. <laughs> Not a huge one like that, but, like, there's... The, the transformation that they showed could never have happened. Right. Well, and they also couldn't have, like, mounted the show in a week. And they couldn't have had all the, like, school problems in a week. Like, none of... Like, the timeline was totally wrong. Yeah. Also, if they, ha- if they could afford to, like, completely redo this entire gigantic house and, like buy this extra furniture and buy the like upholstery and get it upholstered and in five days and like make it all fancy Uh, like if they can afford to do all that quickly in a week then how come they couldn't afford to buy a nice small house yeah require any and then when they showed them fixing it up a lot of it was just them like yeah hiring people to do stuff and buying stuff right (laughs) which is like that's not saving you money no it's pretty expensive. Um, it reminded. Do you know the comedian Jim Gaffigan? Yes. It reminded me a lot of him and his family in the first half of the movie because they had six of them living in this small apartment yeah. in New York. Yeah. And now Jim Gaffigan does a lot of comedy about how they have like, I think it's seven of them living in a two-bedroom apartment in New York. Yeah. Which and it like I got anxiety just like from watching the scenes of, of the, them in this apartment yeah, in the movie. Yeah, tiny little apartment. And th- they did seem horrible, those those boys. Like, they were, they wouldn't leave her alone. <laughs> they I mean, were rude. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it seemed, like, remarkably um, realistic. Like, I mean, yeah. friends I have who have, like, multiple boys, that they're just like, yeah, you never, like, the thing that you want is to just be able to pee and pee, pee <laughs> and, like, get dressed without anybody watching you and, like, have... Like, yeah. ten minutes all to yourself, or, like, sleep in the same bed as your husband. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all you want. Um, I, I thought it did a good job of showing also how much pressure was on her as a woman to not only, like, take care of the boys and, like, handle everything else in their lives, but also, like, to look beautiful and yeah. be fashionable and be able to fraternize with all of these artsy people and, like, help Larry with his career by like going to all these parties with him and openings with him and I I was thinking like that just looks exhausting yeah I mean it's yeah it looked nearly impassable I mean the thing that I actually like the best about this movie is just that I think this is one of I mean there was Little Women but it was one of the only movies we've watched where it depicted a family Mm -hmm. and like a married couple and I found that interesting to watch I guess it was sort of novel because most of the ones we watch are more about either like just individuals or like maybe a couple getting together or something like that so I felt like it was dealing with different problems like how do you resolve conflict within a marriage um you know where is the best place to raise a family like stuff like that yeah yeah there are different questions uh I was also thinking that Larry was right to be annoyed about having to move to the country because 
how like he was taking the train into the city and then like he was supposed to come home on like 2 a.m trains yeah like that sounds horrible that sounds terrible i mean i guess the partly he had to come in on 2 a.m trains because he was i mean he wasn't going into the city until like four in the afternoon yeah or something so it was not like he was gone there all day but but still i i also thought it was very quaint the notion that a theater critic would be so famous and like everyone would be courting him and everyone would know who he was like maybe within the theater world but like i could not name uh, a new york theater critic right now yeah and i'm like into theater yeah so. i know that whole like notion of the seven major drama critics was like yeah. they were trying to establish that as like a thing that now that he was one of them it's like what happened to the previous like seventh one like did yeah. he die did, like like what, what happens to like open up a spot did he like give too many bad reviews or too many reviews that were wrong i don't know oh i did like the depiction of him as a writer and the like whole writing process and that like somebody you know this cabbie brings him something to read and he finally sits down and reads it and is like well like he's trying to offer like constructive criticism to this new writer and the (laughs) new writer is like oh well I just must must be terrible and not have any talent at all and it turns out that he's just like Larry is just trying he's giving the best advice that you can give to a writer it turns out which is like like why do you want to why are you doing it this way yeah like you know why are you not doing writing the thing that you know about um, especially when you're a new writer and, you know, like, offering offering the criticism that, you know, he asked for and then he won't actually accept it. I thought that was, like, also remarkably uh, realistic. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of being in um, writing workshops with, you know, people who were just taking it, like, as a one-off thing or to fulfill a requirement but, like, weren't really interested in pursuing writing but then could not handle the criticism part of it like you say one bad thing and they're just like well well, I'm not changing anything or like well I guess I'm just not a writer I'm never writing another word again (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like that doesn't hurt me that hurts you (laughs) (laughs) yeah but part of the process is that if you request feedback you really need to like want that feedback and take it into consideration which you know is hard for everyone but yeah I thought it was funny that Joe came up and wanted to leave a manuscript for him to read and that Kate was just like oh yeah like and then she was acting like he was a bad person Larry was a bad person for not wanting to read it whereas I was thinking, I side with Larry on this one. Like, I wouldn't want any old Joe Schmo like, handing me something to review. Yeah, this, like, friend of his mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, like, if that becomes a pattern, that's... And a whole play, that's a big commitment yeah. to read a whole play. Right, and think critically about it, not just, like... For free. It. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is his job. <laughs> um, what did you think of the dog in the movie? I thought it was hilarious that he... <laughs> Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't walk anywhere. He had to like let the dog around. He was a big dog too. I, so I thought good. he was cute. Um, <laughs> I the pet shop scene I thought was interesting. I felt really bad for that monkey in the really little cage. Yeah. 
And then Mike, with his veterinarian hat on, immediately noticed that the calendar on the wall in the pet shop was a horse meat calendar. Oh, jeez. And it had, like, pictures of horses, but it was, like, a horse meat <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not have picked up on that. That's hilarious. Um... um <laughs> I loved the scene when they were at a party, I think fairly early on in the movie when he, hilarious, just started to get famous, um, and Kate is trying to just, like, get through the party before they have to go to this theater show, I guess, and um, she goes over by the piano player, and at which point I thought, oh, she's going to break into song. Yeah, I thought like, so, too. Whatever. She didn't. The, instead, the piano player took off his glasses to look like sexier, <laughs> which I sort of. And then he was like trying to make a pass at her, and um, which you know was nice as a viewer because you're like we you know, like we know she has to be of a certain age because she has four children, yeah. and and you know it's Doris Day, and so we know when she was born, so she's at least thirty five years old, yeah. and so she, here's this like thirty five year old mother getting hit on by the piano player, which is fabulous, except for then when she's like, I'm not available, he's like, move it. Yeah. <laughs> at first I was like, well, 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 the tables have turned. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, that was funny. I liked, um, I liked the little musical numbers, and I didn't find them too intrusive. I felt yeah. like they worked. Yeah. They were, yeah. My favorite one was the one with the kids where she sang, Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Yeah. What I liked best about that was that there was a plant earlier in the movie where the the um, the principal says, you know, you have to you have to volunteer one weekend or one afternoon a week to do this children thing. And then like it came back around where you see her actually like fulfilling that role that she's agreed to do, mm-hmm. um, and then like it turns out that she's like potentially like teaching them songs and, and dancing yeah. with them, and that's what she's doing in her hour with them, which like also provides the excuse for her to sing and dance with them, which is what we're watching the movie for. Um, I sort of agreed with Larry though when they had that meeting with the principal, and she was like you know, bullying them into volunteering. And yeah. then he was like, no, I reject this whole premise, basically. <laughs> like, was like, the point of elementary school is to get the kids out of parenting. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, you know what? Like, you shouldn't assume someone's a bad parent because they can't commit to volunteering, like, once a week at the school. Or won't yeah. commit to volunteering once a week. I do hear about from other people that there's, like, a lot of sort of snooty like parent judginess of like who has the time like who's on the PTA and who's That's coordinating right, yeah. the bake sales um and Kate seemed to like immediately say yes to all of the commitments which it was nice she was trying to become part of the community but I was thinking like whoa you're trying to fix up a house that is like falling down and you have for crazy children who like <laughs> throw things out of windows and like one of them needs to be in a cage so <laughs> maybe don't make time commitments that's right when, especially when you've already committed to doing something with the theater troupe yeah although I guess Larry volunteered her for the theater troupe like, she thanks Larry <laughs> like um, I got so mad when he came home to see her and then he was so mad at her for not being home yeah, that made me I'm so, so angry. angry. <laughs> I was like, "She's not at your beck and call." <laughs> right. 
Which, that would never happen now, because he would just text, like, where are you? Yeah, right. There's, yeah, there's several things. Like, he he wouldn't have been stood up at the restaurant with the yeah. actress, because she would have texted and been like, so, our kid got his head stuck in a thing, so I'm not coming. <laughs> what did you think of that actress and that whole plot line? Um... I, I was trying to decide what the point of that was. Was it, like, was it to show us that, like, he's acting like an asshole, but he's not actually a bad guy because he's not cheating on his wife? Like, he's, he's not taking the bait? But it seemed like he was sort of, I mean, he wasn't going to go, like, act on it, but he was definitely pursuing it to a level that was probably not healthy. Yeah. It was like he was lonely, and so he was willing to, like, not put his foot down, I guess. But but he also wasn't, like, really saying, like, look, I am not having an affair with you. I'm not. Yeah. He was kind of, like, stringing her along a little bit. Yeah. I was wondering with her if that was a way of her using her sexuality as a way of, like getting the upper hand yeah. with him. Yeah. Like, if she could get him to have an affair with her, that was, like, almost getting back at him yeah. for giving her the bad review. Yeah. It seems like that was, like, her motivation. Yeah. What about the whole... I wrote down how many times can they say Fanny? <laughs> because... <laughs> But I wonder if that's in the code. <laughs> I know. I was like, mm. <laughs> um, I also thought it was hilarious when I assumed they went together to that coffee house at the end, and oh, it yeah. was like this super sexy coffee house with like all the beatniks like hanging out <laughs> and like people like plucking the bass and like smoke everywhere. And I was like, this coffee shops have changed. <laughs> it's, just, it's not like a sexy vibe. Now. <laughs> well, and I love that he even he even said something along the lines of, I didn't really expect that you would want to come to a place like this. <laughs> there were some really good lines in the movie that I wrote yeah. down. Like, I liked when um, Joe came and saw him in saw the child in the cage and said, <laughs> yes. "What's with him? Queer?" <laughs> like I was just like, "That's hilarious." Um, at one point, someone said "Mazel Tov." <laughs> that made me laugh really hard. And then I think that that actress was saying she wanted to like make it with him or something. Yeah, I forget how she put it. Oh, she said, I'm going on the make for you. And I was like, I've never heard that <laughs> phrase, but I'm going to start using it. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also, um, Kate at some point says, us broads own the world, which I was like, it's like a, a pre-Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> Who run the world? Girls. <laughs> uh, I definitely wrote down, Kate would be better off without Larry, like several times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I liked, even though the end uh, resolution was not very satisfying, I liked the way it was shot in the elevator. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Oh, beautiful girl, what a gorgeous creature, beautiful girl, let me call a preacher, what can I do but give my heart to you? 
So, well, should we talk about the costumes? Because I yes. feel like there's a lot to say. Oh, yeah, we just, like... <laughs> I know, we went on a little too long. <laughs> I thought her dresses were amazing. Her dresses were, were amazing in one way, and then the Barbara... Barbara Vaughn, her the other the other woman who was seducing them, um, they were incredible in another in another way. Yeah. Um, I really liked all of the shirt dresses that yeah. she wore towards day, and she just looked fabulous in them. Yeah. Um, I wasn't so much a fan of that first dress that she wore with the big flower on yeah. it. And she was wearing, like, really strong blue eyeshadow, too, which I was like, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but the rest of it was good. And she also wore some cute, like, pedal pusher pants, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. which I liked. She just looked good all around, like, yeah. the whole time. Yeah, although at the beginning that she said something about how she had lost five pounds so she could put on a draft, this dress. Yeah. Which I was like, eh, like, do you have five pounds to lose? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Her waist was so tiny. Yeah. And, but you could, like, that first dress, even though I didn't care for it, it was cut in such a way that, like, I was like, how can you walk in that? Like, it looked really tight. Yeah. Like, very close cut in the hips and thighs and everything. Yeah. So, and then the boys were like, maybe you should have lost 10. And yeah. I was like, shut, shut up, up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked all of that. I thought um, Larry's clothes were really nice, too. There were a lot of well-dressed men in this movie. Mm-hmm. It was very, like, New York in the early 60s, where everyone looks, like, perfectly put together. Yeah, it still happens in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Some people look good. <laughs> The good-looking people look really good. What, what did you think about her, about the actress's um, dress? I think it was in the coffee house where she's she's wearing, like, some kind of something on the bottom, but the, like, the collar was really tight. I'm, like, show, I'm, like acting this out with my hands, but, like, <laughs> that comes up on a podcast. But the, the neck was really tight, and then the sleeves were really puffy, and, really, like, it was like this, like she was wearing a cloud almost. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it was probably to accentuate her bust. <laughs> she was very, like, va-va-voo. Yeah, right. Um, I didn't like her clothes as much. What, I did think that scene with the jacket was good, though, mm-hmm. where she, like, took the jacket off and yes. was like, what do you think now? Yeah. What do you think about my fanny? <laughs> I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. What about social justice? Did you think there was anything there? I mean, I feel like watching it now as a, um, you know, 50 years after it was made, is that right? Yeah, just about 50 years. And, um, And seeing, like, what the role, like, how this, like, housewife basically is portrayed and those like little snippets of like, you know, uh, uh, any housewife is more like interesting than people think that they they are. I mean, that little the, there were a few moments like that, and then just knowing that it's Doris Day and she go she as a like a person in real life goes on to like do all of this mm-hmm. um, animal work. 
feel like that counts for something. Yeah, and if the rest of the movie is kind of silly. And also the, like, gender-bendy veter- veterinarian, even though there, nobody makes anything of it. There's <laughs> Although she was just freely handing out, like, triangles. <laughs> so I don't know how ethical she was in the field. But, um, she may not have been a good vet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, th- I don't know. I mean, I assume that at the time that was supposed to be played for laughs, but I was still like, that's kind of... I haven't seen that in any other films from that time, so yeah. it was interesting. Um, I did like how Kate, this isn't exactly social justice, but Kate did point out that like writing mean reviews just for the purpose of uh, boosting your own career yeah. is not a very ethical thing to do, yeah. and... Um, it seemed like Larry came around to that way of thinking in the end too, like basically just trying to get ahead and like stepping on other people to do it. So there's a little bit of something there, but it wasn't. I don't. It was not a very social justice mm-hmm. movie. I didn't think they. Yeah. They seemed like they had a lot of money and like were just going to fabulous parties all the time and buying house. <laughs> Mother, I don't want to be disagreeable or unkind. I've come home to live with you again here in the same house, but it can't be in the same way. Um, what about the Bechdel test? Um, <laughs> I feel like there... I, I, I think there might have been like one or two conversations. I mean, they do talk about the children, but I don't necessarily count that no. as... Uh, I mean the the women who could be having a conversation are the are the maid and uh, Kate and the mother yeah. and then like the the actress lady and then the actress like the actors in the um, uh, in the like community theater troupe mm-hmm. and the principal and I guess there were like fair number of women who had yeah I guess and that crazy renter <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that vampire renter <laughs> who didn't talk to any other women but she was scary yeah I, yeah I feel like it could pass but it was still very most of the conversations were about men and about Larry in particular yeah so I don't know if it if, if it does pass it's you know, not by much. Right. Um, well, what rating would you give it? I might give it a three because it was enjoyable to watch, mm-hmm. and there were like flickers of sort of surprising, um, like progressiveness, and it wasn't like infuriating to watch. Yeah. Like now, Voyager was sort of infuriating <laughs> to watch, but it was, yeah. and it was like. You know, it was, like, not realistic in some ways, like, the timeline, but realistic in other ways, and, um... Yeah. I think a three is fair, because I did notice with this movie, I was in, I was interested the whole time. It yeah. wasn't, like, swing time, where I was like, alright, when is this gonna be over? <laughs> because, like, the plot was just... Re- I mean, I was... The family and relationship dynamics did keep me interesting. And, like, Doris Day is great, so 
I see, yeah, three. Three yeah. sounds good to me. Solid. See average. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I feel like it would have been a two and a half, but then those Doris Day musical numbers like pushed it up to a three. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's our next movie? Um, the Third Man. <gasps> Do you remember? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go from like minimal plot to <laughs> better not blink while you're missing it. We're missing all the things. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm glad we chose that. <laughs> now that you remind me. <laughs> So until next time, thanks for listening. (laughs) After all, tomorrow is another day.